All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is an analytics Tuesday. We'll be looking at the PFF grades from the Falcons week 14 win over the Carolina Panthers, talking about Matt Ryan's performance, as well as what we got from his supporting guests with the blocking up front and those weapons. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com, RIP. Still going strong on Twitter, at FalcFans, writing weekly content over at the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons, and, of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And today's episode, we are going to piggyback off of what we did last week. Instead of having a guest come on and talk about this week 14 matchup, we're going to do an analytics Tuesday. We're going to look at the PFF grades from the Falcons week 14 win over the Carolina Panthers, talk a little bit about some of the missed opportunities from quarterback Matt Ryan and how that sort of skewed uh, initial perception of his performance and maybe he was a little bit better than we initially gave credit for we'll talk about the offensive line grades from three prominent players including Kayla McGarry Chris Lindstrom and talk a little bit about whether Jalen Mayfield has sort of turned a corner as a blocker based off of his grades in 24 in, in week 14 and then we'll talk a little bit about the Falcons weapons and whether or not the PFF metrics are saying that the Falcons maybe have a little bit better of a receiver core surrounding Matt Ryan in this offense than a lot of people are willing to give it credit and then we'll wrap up today's episode giving you an update on Eric Harris, who is now out for the season, the Falcons starting safety with a torn pectoral muscle, and we'll talk about what's next for him, what's next for this defense moving forward on this season. But before we get into all of that on today's uh, Analytics Tuesday episode of Lockdown Falcons, I want to thank you guys for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day on a variety of podcast platforms that you check out. Lockdown Falcons, of course, that includes Apple, Odyssey, Google, Spotify, and of course, now free and available on the YouTube platform. Make sure you subscribe to Locked On Falcons now on YouTube, where you can get the podcast a little, a few hours earlier, usually the night before the audio version of the podcast drops. The audio version typically drops at midnight, and the video version of the podcast usually drops sometime between I don't know eight and nine o'clock, uh, or sometimes ten o'clock uh, the night before. So you know, for you guys out on the West Coast, you get it sometime in the afternoon, but uh, for you East Coast guys, it's, it's a late night thing. I can help put you to sleep each and every night. You can get tucked in by the Lockdown Falcons podcast. So um, now that that's out of the way, let's revisit Matt Ryan's performance. And, you know, we talked about sort of last week, him getting pressured on 38% of his dropbacks in that Tampa Bay game. So it didn't look as bad as just looking at the, the sacks and hits in that game. And this week it was about 39% of uh, his dropbacks that Matt Ryan was pressured by this Panthers team. Uh, Matt Ryan had a 47 grade, according to PFF, while under pressure, which is not great, but pretty typical when you look across the league. This is why pressure matters, because typically quarterbacks, at least based off PFF's grades, are typically being graded in the 40s and 50s on average uh, when they're under pressure. Obviously, you have some players that are being much graded much lower than that and players that are being graded much higher than that. But, you know, in terms of the bell curve, it's usually in that 40 range and Matt Ryan sort of fits in there. Um, And, you know, the rest of when we talk about Matt Ryan 
in this week 14 game isn't really about his PFF grades. It's just a, sort of a way of jumping into the conversation. Um, you know, his PFF grade in this game was a 66 overall, you know, part got a little bit of a bump by a 71 run grade. Thanks to those two quarterback sneaks, but the 66 is the best grade that Matt Ryan has had as a passer uh, or, or overall since week nine against the saints. And, and Mark's is tied with the week two game against Tampa Bay, where he had a 65.9 or a 66. Uh, as the fifth best graded game of his 2021 season. And earlier on Monday, I rewatched the television copy of the game and obviously I'll <clears throat> watch the film on Tuesday, but I, I wanted to watch the offense and really focus on the offensive line play uh, as well as Matt Ryan's performance. And I, I do think I just, he deserves a little bit more credit than I initially gave him in my rapid reaction on yesterday, where I kind of said it was a middling performance. Um, I still probably would grade it out as like probably like a C plus, particularly in comparison to Matt Ryan's overall body of work when we go back, you know, the last 13 plus years. But certainly I think relative to what we have seen, and that was reflected in his PFF grade, uh, relative to what we have seen in this 2021 season, it was one of his better performances. I would still sort of fit it into the category of, you know, we have four good games of Matt Ryan in nine sort of mad games. It's still in the meh category, but it's at the upper level of the meh. And so one of the things that um, looking back at the game, it was really basically two plays that I think really made the difference in terms of Matt Ryan not necessarily looking as good uh, in sort of two throws that he kind of left on the field, two potential touchdowns that he potentially left on the field that if he makes those plays, we're having a much more positive uh, you know, conversation about how well Matt Ryan played in this Carolina game uh, than we currently are. And the first one was that underthrown deep ball to Tajay Sharp to start the third quarter where they dialed up a shot play and Matt Ryan basically underthrew Sharp on what where he was wide open on that play and potentially could have scored a touchdown on that play had Matt Ryan hit him in stride on that play. And so that was the touchdown that took some points off the board. Uh, the Falcons did eventually settle for a field goal on that drive, but you know, that's seven points instead of three. Uh, and then the other one was in the second quarter when the Falcons were in the red zone and the Panthers dialed up a cover zero blitz on third down and Matt Ryan wound up throwing a screen into traffic and it was incomplete. And that was probably a play where he should have thrown to Olamide Zacchaeus who was wide open over the middle and that could have been a potentially a walk-in touchdown given the Falcons had run sort of a pick play. I want to say it was Kyle Pitts that sort of ran a rub route, uh, sort of picking the guy covering him. And so Zacchaeus was wide open on a drag route over the middle. And that was a play I think Matt Ryan could have made. We'll see what the film sort of says. But watching the television copy, it looked like where the blitz was coming from with that cover zero blitz, They were there was nobody in the middle of the Panthers defense to cover that sort of crossing route from Zacchaeus and that blitz was coming exactly where Zacchaeus was going to wind up and I, Matt Ryan seemingly saw that blitzer because he immediately was looking at I guess based off of the television copy looking at where that blitzer was coming I want to say it was Jermaine Carter or whatever the case may be and had he just kind of floated the ball over that guy's head to where Zacchaeus would have been it would have been a, a great throw and great anticipation and all that very thing and Zacchaeus would have had the potential to walk in for a touchdown so those two plays, you know, obviously the Falcons wind up settling for a field goal uh, because of that missed third down conversion. So, again, that's another four points. So so it feels like eight points potentially were left on the field based off of two plays. And, you know, that's the potential between, you know, instead of winning this game 29-21, you know, you're talking about 38-21 to 21 or something like that. Um, you know, they probably wouldn't have gone for two uh, later on after that Hayden Hurst touchdown uh, had they scored touchdowns on those two drives that we're talking about. So uh, certainly a, a solid performance, relatively speaking, for Matt 
Ryan uh, and certainly deserves probably a little bit more credit than initially given. Uh, and we'll sort of see what the film has to say if I feel like I need to revise anything that I've said on today's episode uh, or need to, you know, correct some statements. Obviously, I'll do that potentially on tomorrow's episode. Um, but without uh, further ado, we'll continue the conversation about the various analytics and focus more on the offensive line, focus more a little bit more on the supporting cast surrounding Matt Ryan as we continue today's Lockdown Falcons podcast. But you guys listen to podcasts for the power of knowledge. You switch to Boost Mobile for the power of saving money because with Boost, you get the power of a free 5G phone so that you can listen to all the latest episodes of the Lockdown Falcons podcast and the power of three unlimited data lines for 30 bucks a month per line so that your family can harness all that brain power too, and the power of one of America's largest 5G networks. So you can do it all at the speed of 5G with all that money that you'll be saving and all that knowledge that you'll be gaining. Just how powerful will you become? Switch to Boost Mobile and find out. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A32 5G when you switch to one of America's largest 5G networks. More power to save. Boost Mobile. Free phone limited to new customers and one per line. Additional restrictions apply. Offers and coverage not available everywhere for all phones and networks. See BoostMobile.com for details. Super Bowl 56 at SoFi is less than 100 days away. And on location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL is the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package, select your exact seats and choose from elite experiences featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends, five-star L.A. hotels, and food by the Great Wolf Game Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. That's onlocationexp.com slash SB56 or search Super Bowl on location for more information. So we're talking about the Falcons offensive line grades from this week 14 game. And we're uh, focusing on three players. You know, that means we got to revisit Kayla McGarry Island. We're going to visit Jalen Mayfield Island. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about Chris Lindstrom because Chris Lindstrom had another rough game, but first on Kayla McGarry, he did earn a 91, which is an elite uh, run blocking grade from PFF. He did only have a 32 pass blocking grade and watching the television copy, you know, whether it, deserved an, an elite grade or whatever the case may be. This was probably Caleb McGarry's best run blocking game of the season. Uh, and sort of this was what, what we were expecting when we drafted Caleb McGarry to be sort of that, you know, road grading sort of right tackle. Uh, and he looked that part against Carolina and hopefully we'll continue to see more of this in the future with Caleb McGarry. As far as the low pass blocking grade, you know, he certainly did give up some pressure. He was credited uh, by PFF with allowing three pressures in this game. And some of that did come from Hassan Reddick, but for the most part, I thought he did relatively speaking a decent job handling Hassan Reddick for most of this game without a ton of help. There were certainly a number of plays where Reddick was able to get the most of them. And this is part of the, the thing with PFF's grades, particularly when it comes to pass protection is it's much more qualitative than uh, quantitative. Like quantitative is just basically how many pressures you give up, you know, how efficient you are based off of that uh, by their various metrics and qualitative is like the quality of pressures. And that's part of the reason why Caleb McGarry continued to not get graded highly, Uh, you know, even in games where he doesn't give up a ton of pressure, like he'll give up, you know, only a handful of pressure And, and three pressures is not ideal, but certainly not bad for an offensive tackle in the NFL. Like think of it like if you were an edge rusher and you were, you know, getting 40-ish pressures a game a season, uh, which would be a little shy of three per game, you know, you, you would be considered Tack McKinley, right? Where a good edge rusher is getting like, you know, 
60, 70 or more pressures uh, a season, which would be what, like four or, or more, um, you know, a game. So three pressures is not good, but like not terrible either. And so because McGarry looks bad and he has that one or two bad reps per game, it really knocks down his grade. And the, and the same, I think, applies to Chris Lindstrom, who had an even lower pass blocking grade uh, than Keelan McGarry's 32. And it was a 13.5 pass blocking grade. Uh, and he gave up the same number of pressures three as McGarry did. Uh, and it was a pretty rough game watching uh, the television copy uh, back on Monday morning, particularly in the early half. I thought he got a little bit better in the second half, but certainly in the first half, it looked like one of the worst games that we've seen Chris Lindstrom play. And based off his PFF grade, it was the second lowest uh, game he's ever had in terms of pass blocking. Uh, he, he graded out pretty well as a run blocker to sort of balance things out. Um, but what was interesting wasn't even like Derek Brown and, and Daquan Jones that were really giving him struggles. I, like I noticed a number of times where it was other uh, pass rushes for Caroline, like Morgan Fox that were making him look bad uh, on some of those reps that led to that low grade. And then some of those really bad reps. So we'll hopefully see Chris Lindstrom bounce back. And now we've had two weeks in a row against Tampa Bay and now Carolina where he has struggled in these games. And, and basically if we don't see him bounce back against San Francisco this upcoming week, and presumably I think Eric Armstead is going to be the guy that's going to typically line up on that side of the defense. Um, you know, then we're going to start having to speculate about some things like what's going on with Chris Lindstrom. Uh, you know, is there sort of some secret unknown unreported injury that he's dealing with that's led to him basically having two of the weaker games that we've seen him have in a very long time. Or if he just bounced back and we're like, okay, he just had a, a two week slump, but you know, maybe uh, he, his mind were, was on other things uh, and he was just had a couple of rough games and he's right back to form. So we'll, we'll sort of see, about that. We'll talk a little bit about Jalen Mayfield, who had his best day, the polar opposite of Chris Lindstrom day, uh, or at least on this particular Sunday, which was his best day to date as a pass protector. He was not credited with giving up zero pressures and watching the, the game again. Uh, I, I certainly think PFF, um, you know, was correct in that assessment. I didn't see any that they missed there. His run blocking was a little up and down. There was a couple of uh, good blocks that he had on the second level on some key plays. Uh, but then he also struggled going up against a guy like Derek Brown as a run blocker, where there were several plays, uh, particularly early in the game where the Falcons were, you know, as they kept continuing to run left over and over again, there were several plays where Derek Brown was able to push him back into the backfield and blow up those plays and lead to sort of uh, stagnant uh, gains. But he did seemingly do a pretty good job against Derek Brown and Daquan Jones in pass protection. And most of Derek Brown's pressure, uh, he had three pressures according to PFF based off of their charting came when uh, Derek Brown was rushing from the left side of the defense, which is the right side of the offense, which would mean it was going up against someone like Chris Lindstrom. So, you know, for those of you that have been dying for me to acknowledge the positives with Jalen Mayfield, there you go. You know, do I think this game means he's necessarily turned a corner? Nah, you know, I would pump the brakes on that. I, I want to wait and see, you know, it could be one good game in a sea of bad games, or it could be, you know, the start of what could be, you know, a nice little run at the end of the season that would at least make us feel a little bit better that there was legit progress from Jalen Mayfield over the course of his entire rookie season. And that's something to potentially build off of going into year two. So we really kind of need to see how he performs over these last, you know, four or so games. And, and if we're sitting here saying, oh, over the last five games of the season, Jalen Mayfield played well in like three or four of them. Okay. That's a different conversation than if he played well in one or two of those. Um, and, you know, that doesn't necessarily move the needle to me at 
as much. So, um, you know, the last little tidbit as we continue today's analytics portion of the show before we talk a little bit more about the injury front with Eric Harris is I want to talk a little bit about the weapons. And this is something that's applicable given, you know, PFF's metrics. This isn't necessarily applicable to what we saw specifically on Sunday against the Panthers, but just sort of a general trend that I've been paying attention to these last couple of weeks, particularly as I have done research in order to refute the the age-old argument about how the Falcons don't have any talent at the receiver position. And you look at Pro Football Focus's yards per route run metric, which is their overall you know pass-catching efficiency metric. And that's been the metric that for many years, you know, Julio Jones dominated over his time uh, in the NFL, you know, from 2014 to 2020 or whatever the case may be. Um, And so I would imagine, given that that was a metric that many Falcon fans would use in their endless arguments about why Julio Jones was better than DeAndre Hopkins and Antonio Brown, I'm sure um, it would carry some weight, although I'm sure some of you guys would now all of a sudden uh, dismiss that metric because of reasons. But um, when you look at the yards per route run metric for the Falcons, three main receivers, which is Russell Gage, uh, Kyle Pitts and Cordero Patterson, you know, out of the 112 wide receivers currently this year that have 25 or more targets, Russell Gage currently ranks 44th with a yards per route run metric of 1.68. And for the sake of comparison, Jarvis Landry is 1.76. Mike Evans is 1.65 and Adam Thielen is 1.60. If you go back to Muhammad Sanu's best season in uh, Atlanta in terms of yards per route run metric, it was 2017 and his uh, yards per route run that season was 1.57. And you look at the number of uh, targets that Sanu got, at least compared to how often he was being asked to run routes, it's basically identical to what you're seeing from Russell Gage uh, this year, where Gage is getting targeted on about 21.3% of his routes and Sanu in 2017 was getting targeted on 21% of his routes. And if you look at Russell Gage's yards per route run over the last four games, specifically is 1.82, which would be 24th among wide receivers and right behind someone like a Terry McLaurin at 1.84. Then moving to the tight end position of the 45 tight ends that have been targeted at least 25 times per game, Kyle Pitts ranks eighth in yards per route run at 1.88. That's ahead of Darren Waller at 1.86 and Travis Kelsey at 1.77. And if you're just comparing him to wide receivers that have had a similar workload, you know, DK Metcalf is 1.95 and Amari Cooper is 1.78. Then moving to the running back position, uh, again, with a cutoff of 25 targets, Cordero Patterson is second out of 47 running backs with a yards per out run of 2.73, only behind Christian McCaffrey, 2.91. Uh, and if you look at running backs uh, prior to the season since 2016 that have had a yards per out run above 2.50, uh, you only have three in the previous five seasons. That's Austin Eckler with 2.74 in 2019, Alvin Kamara in his rookie season with 2.84 of 2017, and then Tevin Coleman, a former Falcon in 2016 with 2.54. So the point I'm trying to build here is that basically, you know, in Cordero Patterson, you're getting peak Tevin Coleman and Russell Gage, you're getting peak Muhammad Sanu. And then in Kyle Pitts, you're getting at least based off of this metric, a player comparable to what Darren Waller is giving you. And if I, I gave you those three pieces as the foundation of your offense, I don't think many people would be making this argument as they have made so frequently over the last four to six weeks that the Falcons, you know, that Matt Ryan and company have nobody to throw to. And this offense has one of the worst receiver cores in the NFL. That's a pretty solid group of receivers. At least that's a foundation for a functional NFL offense. No one's sitting here saying that Russell Gage, because of this metric, is every bit as good as Amari Cooper or Terry McLaurin or Kyle Pitts at this point in his career is, you know, 
I would rank him ahead of, of Darren Waller or, or Travis Kelsey. But I'm just sitting here saying, like, from a production standpoint, you have the foundation for what is a decent offense, right? Uh, not a top five unit, but certainly a foundation of a functional uh, passing attack. And again, this is not meant to uh, point fingers or point the blame at Arthur Smith or Matt Ryan or whatever the case may be, but it's going to be interesting to me. And again, if I can put on my profit hat and, and open my third eye, you know, six months from now, when we're at the height of the offseason hype, um, you know, with hopefully Cordero Patterson back, hopefully Calvin Ridley back, Kyle Pitts going in the year two, and, and potentially the Falcons replacing if Russell Gage walks in free agency with a, whether that's a wide receiver in the draft or free agency, that the expectation is that he's going to put up similar production, at least based off of this yards per route run metric, as what we've gotten from Russell Gage this season. You know, we're going to be sitting here telling ourselves, at least the narrative then, six months from now, again, my, my prophecy uh, powers are, are, are telling me this, that we're going to sit here and, and say, like, you know, six months from now that this Falcons offense is on the verge of being a top 10 unit. Uh, Matt Ryan's going to have this bounce back year. All these factors are, are going to lead uh, to the Falcons having a, a much better offensive output. And I'm going to sit here and go like, you know, sure. But is that really because the Falcons have greatly enhanced the talent level of their roster? Or is it simply because the talent that they have is potentially going to gel together? You know, we're going to sit here and say, oh, Matt Ryan's going to be a top 10 quarterback. This offense is going to be a top 12 unit or, or passing attack or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I think there's reasons to be optimistic that the Falcons can potentially achieve those things uh, with Matt Ryan being more comfortable in this offense in year two, Kyle Pitts being more consistent going into his second year. And if Calvin Ridley can look like uh, the 2020 version of himself, once Arthur Smith figures out how to use him in this offense, there are reasons absolutely for the Falcons to be optimistic. My point is just those reasons aren't because the Falcons are going to be much more talented. It's just going to be because the talent that they do have is going to gel. And this coaching staff is going to be doing a better job of figuring out how to maximize that talent uh, on a weekly or more consistent basis going into 2022. So I just kind of wanted to point that out because, you know, we're talking about PFF metrics and, you know, um, it's just one of those things where I just feel like that narrative of, of talent or lack thereof, I, I, again, continues to be, in my opinion, overblown and overrated. It's not to sit here and say that the Falcons are this top tier talented team. Um, you know, uh, they're probably below average, but, you know, they're probably closer to average. And I think a lot of people are willing to give them credit uh, is basically the point I'm trying to make. And I think this, you know, PFF metric is not necessarily the end all be all of that, but just part of the conversation where it's like, they're getting decent production at, you know, three of their skill position players, you know, historic production from Kyle Pitts, historic running back production from Cordero Patterson and, and Russell Gage certainly over the last month is playing the best football that he's ever played. So this idea that like the reason why their offense is struggling because Matt Ryan has nobody to throw to, you know, again, it doesn't, doesn't carry that much weight. Uh, and, and this is part of the reason why. So, uh, that's where we will leave it here on Analytics Tuesday and we'll wrap up today's Lockdown Falcons talking a little bit more about Eric Harris's injury, season ending injury, what it means for him and his future here in Atlanta, how his performance was, what it means for the rest of this Falcons defense and, and all that stuff moving forward, not only this season, but into the offseason. Uh, and we'll get into all of that as we continue today's Lockdown Falcons podcast but i want to thank you guys for making lockdown falcons your first listen each and every day and of course i always have recommendations for what your second listen should be and of course in addition to lockdown falcons you can find a variety of local atlanta slash georgia shows on a variety of podcast platforms that lockdown falcons is available uh including lockdown braves lockdown hawks and lockdown bulldogs and if you're interested in 
checking out those shows on YouTube. Of course, you can find Lockdown Braves and Lockdown Bulldogs there, as well as Lockdown Hawks on Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify. So we're in the midst of the holiday season, and maybe you're like me and you constantly struggle to find the perfect gift every year. My family uh, does the white elephant gift exchange, and I always struggle to find that perfect gift gift, but I think my struggles are going to be over now that I've found Stance. Founded in 2009, Stance Apparel represents a radical reinvention of socks, underwear, and active apparel with a sharp focus on comfort, quality, and creativity. Stance brings an atypical aesthetic alongside some of pop culture's hottest collaborators for the ultimate in style and self-expression because everything you wear should be a direct extension of who you are and how you feel. Stance has everything from socks, TV, t-shirts, Hoodies, shorts, underwear, hats, beanies, and even stylish face masks that make you want to grab them this holiday season. Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in. Those that feel good, do good. So go see for yourself by going to stance.com and you can get 15% off your first purchase by using the promo code locked on at checkout. Again, that's promo code locked on at stance.com so you can enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary this holiday season. So we're talking about Eric Harris being done for the season. It was announced by Ian Rappaport was the first person I saw have it. Uh, and then was later confirmed by the team that Eric Harris is done for the season with a torn pec. We talked about this uh, briefly at the end of yesterday's rapid reaction podcast of that being a possibility uh, that he suffered early in that game. And obviously, excuse me, we're now getting a confirmation that that is the case. Obviously we're going to expect uh, Jalen Hawkins to step into that vacated starting spot. We'll probably also see Sean Williams, who was elevated to the roster yesterday ahead of the game from the practice squad, potentially will have a, an opportunity to have a permanent role on the roster. Uh, and we'll see what those guys, you know, offer uh, now that they're going to have increased reps. We've been talking for several weeks now, going back to that with the London game and Miami game where Jalen Hawkins played really well and had interceptions on the game. What we would see from this defense, if we got to see more of Jalen Hawkins, unfortunately, uh, injury kind of derailed um, that uh, moving forward, but now he's going to have that opportunity due to Harris's absence. And we'll see what we get from Sean Harris as well. You know, people forget that Sean Harris did uh, wind up being a functional starter uh, for the Bengals for the better part of four years. And so when we talk about Eric Harris, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for Eric Harris. I certainly was down on Eric Harris and the potential for him starting when it became increasingly clear over the summer that Eric Harris was going to win the starting safety spot instead of Richie Grant. I was like, Oh no, this is a horrible sign that this defense is going to be terrible. If Eric Harris is, is garnering significant snaps because Eric Harris has only really started on bad defenses. And we saw that the pre two previous years with the Raiders um, in the case. And, and to be fair, the Falcons don't have a great defense. So the fact that Eric Harris was starting for them uh, sort of, you know, continue to prove that to be the case, but a testament goes to Eric Harris because he certainly blew away my expectations. Not to say here and say he played amazing football, but to me, he kind of really embodied the do your job mantra that Dean Pease is trying to instill in this defense, because I saw a player that compared to a lot of other players that the Falcons have in the back seven, whether we're talking about the two main linebackers and for you, and Deion Jones or the other uh, defensive backs with the exception of maybe AJ Terrell, uh, you know, uh, I rarely saw Eric Harris out of position, like basically freelancing and doing his own thing and, and making these sort of mental errors. Um, and, you know, I, again, 
whether he was the guy that you really wanted matching up in the slot against certain receivers, which he was asked to do for a couple of weeks there after Isaiah Oliver's injury, whether it was being asked to cover tight ends like Gronk um, and others. And while guys like Gronk and Hunter Henry got the better of him, it wasn't like he was completely out of position. He was out there contesting several of those throws. The only real knock on Eric Harris that I had this season was, you know, inconsistent tackling. And we saw that on display in that Dallas game and in that New England game where he got, you know, trucked a couple of times uh, by those running backs in those games. And so uh, that was probably the only knock. But I think overall, in terms of basically being that guy, uh, that uh, do everything guy that was being asked to wear multiple hats in this defense, I thought Eric Harris stepped up in a major way. And I certainly think uh, is in a position that when he becomes a free agent after the season coming off of this injury should be offered a contract to come back. Now, you know, not expecting him or, nor do I'm sitting here advocating that Eric Harris should be expected to start next year uh, for this team, but as a sort of reserve player uh, that can be a, a capable, competent reserve player that you can trust that can come off the bench and do his job. I think Eric Harris certainly uh, has earned that opportunity and we'll just sort of have to see uh, in terms of the potential upgrades that the Falcons could have at that safety position this upcoming off season, whether they need to make that move because we're seeing more of Jalen Hawkins. You're seeing Sean Williams or even Richie Grant getting more opportunities there and whether or not the Falcons have some in-house options um, to sort of step in to that potential starting spot, or will the Falcons have to feel compelled to have to upgrade that either in free agency or the draft uh, this off season. So again, safety is one of those positions that um, we talk about the Falcons needing to upgrade, but I would not put safety on the list of positions where the Falcons are quote unquote untalented at, uh, as some people would argue. Um, you know, I think Eric Harris is, is one of the reasons why, because I think he, again, while, you know, his ceiling is may not be as high as what you would ideally want in the scheme. I certainly think he was a player that relatively speaking was outperforming a, a lot of expectations. And as I said, certainly my expectations, given how low they were going into the season. So we'll just sort of have to see what the rest of the season brings as far as the safety positions and how that informs what the Falcons will potentially do this off season. So uh, unfortunately for Her Eric Harris, his 2021 season is over, but hopefully as I've explained already on today's episode. Hopefully it's not the end of his time in Atlanta, because I certainly think he can add some value uh, to this defense and potentially on special teams next year uh, if he's not starting on defense. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. But there you guys have it on another Analytics Tuesday. Of course, tomorrow we will be uh, answering your listener questions as well as breaking down the film. There's not anything specifically that I'm going to be focused on when I watch the film. If something jumps out to me, um, we'll talk about it. Uh, but this is also an opportunity for you guys to get some of your questions answered. Uh, I know I still probably have a couple of questions I didn't answer for last week that I might try to get to some of those on tomorrow's episode. But, you know, the first come, first serve type of mentality. So if you get your questions in sooner versus later, you have an opportunity to get those questions answered on tomorrow's, uh, you know, all 22 review and Q and a episode. And of course, if you want to send in your questions, of course you can do so on Twitter at lockdown Falcons on Facebook at lockdown Falcons. You can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. Or of course you can post a comment here on the lockdown Falcons YouTube page. And before we duck out of here, guys want to let you guys know about the lockdown beds podcast. Of course, if you're out here trying to make a little bit, bit of 
extra cash in this holiday season that you can then spend or at least hoard uh, until next year. Uh, you know, Lockdown Bets is your best avenue here on the, the Lockdown Podcast Network where handicapping expert Lee Sterling is joined every day uh, by host your boy Q. And Lee's giving you his daily picks, his blowout specials, and of course his lock of the day that's going to make you a little bit extra cash, as I've said several times now on the podcast over the last several weeks. Lee has been killing it this year. So if you've been following his advice, you've been making quite a bit of moolah. So for the rest of you that aren't subscribed to Lockdown Bets, make sure you subscribe so that you can get in on that action. And of course, Lockdown Bets is free and available on all the same podcast platforms that you can find Lockdown Falcons. So guys, there you have it here uh, for another Analytics Tuesday on Lockdown Falcons. We'll be back tomorrow with a All-22 review in Q&A slash mailbag. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. Till then.